pray before you eat? Do you pray before you go to bed? There's all sorts of reasons and examples of how we pray and use prayer in our lives. And that is the focus of our discussion today on monodia. And as usual, helping me is Janelle. Good morning, Janelle. Good morning. How are you? Good. I've had three pumpkin munchkin Dunkin' Donut donut holes. That's a, a lot to say in just one breath. <laughs> <laughs> they were so good. Were they? Yeah. Did it's you... fall. It's November. Everything's pumpkin. And did you get your pumpkin spice latte? Uh, not today, but I have had it, yes. Uh, so Is that you... what you have? No. I, I'm not a big pumpkin person. What? No. no I live for pumpkin. Do you? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so do you pray for pumpkin lattes and pumpkin donut holes and... No, I don't. No? Do you no. pray? Do you pray? Yes, I pray. Do you? I'm praying right now. <laughs> <laughs> for yourself and for me, I hope. I am. Yeah. <laughs> so is, prayer's always been a big part of your life, then I take it, or no? Yes. Really, really a big part. It, and your parents, are they the ones that taught you, or did you learn it on your own? How did you go through that process? I think initially, yeah, just the, the basic idea of it, but then... It wasn't until I had kids that I really dived into it and investigated it. And oh, and so did you teach your kids how to pray? Uh-huh, yeah. Did you make them kneel before they no. got in bed? No, 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 no. They were too busy running around. Oh. We did, we had activities, like at dinner time, we had a cube. We would roll a cube okay. on the table, and on each side of the cube was a different kind of prayer. Oh, that's the prayer that you offer. And that's the prayer we would say. And so it was fun. Uh, and they'd fight over the cube and who gets to roll the cube. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, I remember my parents used to have me actually kneel beside my bed. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Was there carpet? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, short prayers. And <laughs> Very in, short, Into sure. bed. Yeah. And then I remember when I got older, my parents didn't tuck me in anymore. So I figured, well, if no one's watching, I don't have to kneel. And okay. so I started mm -hmm. praying while I was laying in bed. Yeah. I, I felt guilty at first for that. The other one I felt guilty for, and I don't know if you've ever done this, is mm. praying before a meal. Yeah. And then as you pray, if, if you forget to pray and you take a bite, yeah. and then all of a sudden you remember you didn't pray. Right. So then the question is, do you finish chewing and swallow and then pray, or do you hold it in your mouth and do just a quiet in your mind <laughs> prayer? Depends on where, what you're <laughs> subscribing to religiously, I guess. I remember as a kid. I didn't have that much guilt. Yeah, I remember as a kid thinking like, well, if I swallow this, will that mean I get indigestion before <laughs> I actually pray? So it was like, it's like, what, what do you do? Catch 22. Yeah, and you sit there with your mouth kind of like. Mm -hmm. And if you're, not, if you're not watching the video, if you're listening to this as a podcast, um, <laughs> you can imagine the expression I just made on my face when you're trying to hold something in your mouth and not look <laughs> like anyone's noticing. That's very difficult. Yeah, but I'm excited. I'm excited about talking about prayer this yeah. time. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is a sermon that Bill Nelson, who mm. was a minister here in Phoenix, actually the founding minister here at Church of the Beatitudes, that he wrote on prayer. And um, so I've kind of taken it and played with it a little mm -hmm. bit and actually come to a different conclusion than he does. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm very excited about sharing that. Yeah. Great. So... 
All right, we're going to take a small break, and we will be right back for our monologue. There's a cartoon, and in it is depicted a little boy in his pajamas. And he's standing there in front of his parents, and the idea is, from the drawing, that he's getting ready to go to bed. And you can see down below the lines from the parents and then his response. His parents remind him, now make sure you remember to say your prayers. And the little boy replies, okay, is there anything else you would like me to ask for? And that is how Bill Nelson began this sermon. And the idea is that prayer is something that we are taught. It's not something that comes to us naturally as adults, and especially as children. It's something that we are taught how to communicate to a God. Much of the prayer, though, that we do today is actually stems back to medieval times. In the medieval times, it is anywhere from the 5th to the 15th century. The most popular t form of prayer back then and today is intercessory prayer. This is intervening on behalf of either yourself or other individuals. The two different, the two types of intercessory prayer that stand out is number one is asking for forgiveness. When you've done something wrong, you confess that through prayer. I remember as a, as a kid being taught that that was important, that we confess our sins. And I would lay there in bed and think, okay, what sins have I done today? It gave me a chance to kind of review the day. If I didn't think I actually had a sin, then it made me feel guilty inside because I'd been taught also that in Romans it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if I had not remembered a sin, then what was going on? The other area that when it comes to intercessory prayer, intervening on behalf of oneself or others, is when we want to either acquire an object or we want a particular end in a situation. It's when we ask for something for ourselves or for others, it could be healing, it could be new tires for your car, or it could be for a raise, it could be a prayer for a relationship or for a person. All of these are intervening. It's what we call intercessory prayer. And that is predominantly the way that we see prayer done today, just like it was in the past. Well, where did this come about? Where did this idea of asking a deity for something actually arise? Well, the easiest way to explain that is to think about gaps. Gaps when it comes to human knowledge as well as our abilities. For the ancients, there was a lot of gaps and they needed someone or something to fill those gaps. And that's where God came in. God became the God of the gaps. It's in those areas where as human beings that we lack knowledge or ability or we can't understand something. So we turn to God for that. For example, where does rain come from? Well, for the ancients, they had no idea. There was no explanation for them. 
That's a gap. And that's where they would put God. And because they didn't have the ability to make it rain, then they would ask God to make it rain. So anytime there was a gap, either in our knowledge or our abilities, we would turn to some deity outside of ourselves and call upon them to give us what we want. Well, it was during the Renaissance and the start of modern science that what actually began to happen is if the gaps are this big, then over a period of time, the gaps begin to shrink. And as the gaps begin to shrink, we begin to understand things differently. Now we, instead of having this big of a lack in our knowledge, now it was maybe this. When it came to our abilities, the more we knew, then our abilities grew. And so as our knowledge increased and our abilities to increase, then the gap began to decrease. And with that decrease became less of a necessity to depend upon a celestial foreign aid program, i.e. God. We begin to depend upon ourselves more. Prayer then became less essential. There's a story that when the great French astronomer Laplace outlined for Napoleon how the universe worked, Napoleon is said to have asked, well, where's God? And Laplace said, I have no need of that hypothesis. Why? Because science was now explaining what was unknown before. That was a gap that had disappeared. And therefore, the need for God to explain things, to make things happen, was no longer needed as much because they understood and they began to have the abilities. So for example, no longer would you need to pray to God for it to rain or not rain as much because you could create dams. Dams could store water, and then you could use that as a source. So during times of drought, you could use that water in a more effective way. That's just one of many examples that human beings have experienced. And with, again, with the gaps beginning to shrink, with modern science, modern medicine, a lot of things begin to shift. Less and less were the gaps. Now, if this idea of God as being all-knowing and all-powerful begins to go away, how does that affect our prayer life then? What is the results of that when it comes to prayer? Well, I'd like to share with you four different possibilities of what happens when the God of the gaps is no longer needed. What then is the role and purpose of prayer? Number one, for some individuals, God and their view of God as being all-knowing, all-powerful, that remains the same. Therefore, prayer remains the same. They continue to look to God. So, for example, if an individual is going in for surgery, they rely on the science, they rely on their doctors, their surgeons, but they also will pray and ask for somehow for God to be a part of that. So prayer remains the same. For other individuals, they walk away from prayer altogether. Who needs God? If you have science, if we as human beings continue to grow in our understanding and our abilities, who needs an outside God? Many people would see that God as just simply being a crutch. And then there are those individuals, however, who try to create 
a, a, a blend between the past and the present. And that's where Pastor Nelson came down in this sermon. He came down on this idea of blending this medieval understanding, somehow still keeping God involved, and yet at the same time trying to make sense of science. The way that he explains it is that Jesus' followers, they decided to refer to Jesus in a word that would capture the essence of who he was. So his followers at a later time ended up calling him Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And so on, while on the one hand they experienced Jesus as fully human, at the, on the other side they saw Jesus as a window into the divine. So their conclusion was, is that God is personal, that God can be seen in humanity. Now, that doesn't mean that God necessarily is a being, or some gray-haired adult male up in heaven, but instead they see God more in this personal sense. In his sermon, Nelson says the following, to be Christian is to stake one's life upon personal relationships with other humans, and with God. And this finally must be the meaning of prayer, giving oneself to personal encounter. Then he continues on by saying, what does it mean for all of the, for us, for those who choose to be Christians? So he says, for the one who chooses to be Christian, there is no separation of life from prayer. It almost goes back to what Janelle said at the very beginning while she was talking and she was saying that I was praying at the same time. So there is no separation between one's life and actual form of prayer. He says to pray is to enter into personal relationship with God. To live is to enter into personal encounter with our fellow human beings. But they are of a peace, so that when we truly care for one another, we care for God, and when we genuinely meet another, it is to confront God. And so again, the idea being is that prayer is something that one can experience all the time in personal relationships, and that relationship either being with another human being or with God. Well, to be honest with you, that one challenges me. It seems like we're trying to keep God involved in the equation. But when I really stop and think about it, it just doesn't make sense. Now, it may make sense for you, but for me, it just doesn't resonate. Having a personal relationship with another person, how in the world does that tie into prayer? And if I believe that somehow God is a part of all of this, then how do I have a relationship with God? I can have a relationship with another human being. But I remember as again, as a kid growing up and praying, and they would say that you were supposed to listen for God. I never audibly heard God. So perhaps what I was hearing was something in my mind, but I didn't know if that was God or if that was me. And so again, this, this idea of prayer is one that I really find to be challenging. So that brings us to the fourth option. The fourth option is prayer as an act of recentering oneself. Now, if there is a God who listens to our prayers, or if there is a God who doesn't listen to our prayers, that's for each and every one of us to decide. 
But this form of prayer can actually be used in both ways. You can use it as seeing God as a theist, a God, a God that is actively involved in your life, or you can use this if you see God as being non-theist. God is being more of a mystery. And the whole idea is captured in these words. Prayer is a process of self-evaluation, a process of removing oneself from all the tumults of life to a little corner of truth and reinfastening the bonds that tie one to the purpose of life. Well, what does that mean? Let's unpack that. Instead of just not praying altogether, prayer can actually become a form of thinking about what is important to us, where our priorities are. So, for example, when you think about in your prayer, when you think about another person, all of a sudden you realize how important that person is to you. When they're going through a difficulty or it's a prayer where you're thankful for something that has happened in their life, it reminds you of the value of people in your life, the value of relationships in your life. That's important. It makes us realize that we are connected with other people. We're dependent upon other people. So if God decides to do something or not, or if you don't believe that God does anything to intervene, that doesn't matter. What matters is you begin to realize how important these people are to you. The other thing is it causes beyond ourselves. We begin to think about other people's needs. In a world that is so individualistic, this is a perfect opportunity for us to connect with others in our minds, to think about other people and their desires, their interests. There's some people that pray to God and thank him for the different things that have happened in their lives. Well, this form of prayer also allows for that. It allows us to be thankful. We may not, have, we may not mention the source of that thanks, but it does call us to realize how fortunate we are in life, that we don't take things necessarily for granted anymore. So, prayer. You know, there's a lot of money in prayer. A lot of books have been written about prayer. A lot of ministers have a lot of books about prayer. But ultimately, it comes down to an individual decision. It's based upon your understanding of God, your understanding of yourself and other human beings, and how those two connect. So I hope this monologue has given you food for thought. Personally, I'm not ready to give up on it yet, prayer. But my ideas about prayer have changed. And they've taken on new meaning, new purpose, and new value. I hope you find that. And I hope you use this little short break that we're going to take right now as an opportunity to reflect upon for yourself what is the meaning of prayer. And as you think about that, Look for opportunities to maybe even enter into a conversation with others. For example, as you're listening to this, if it's a podcast, maybe you want to send out an email to us. Let us know your ideas, your thoughts, your questions. If you're listening to this live, this is a perfect opportunity when we come back from this short break for you to interact with us live while we're actually here. So, 
please take this time, enjoy this break, allow your mind to ruminate on what we've thought about, and we'll be right back. That was certainly an all-inclusive look at prayer, I have to say. Oh, th thank you. I, you know, when I read Bill Nelson's prayer, I really, it was challenging. Yeah. His I mean, not his prayer, his sermon. Uh, Particularly why? Um, you know, I've heard a lot about God being in our personal relationships, and that's mm -hmm. how we experience that. I, I, I don't get it. I just, for... It's just like this idea that I take and I impose it on. It's like putting frosting on a cake. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the cake's already there. The substance is already there. Uh, These human relationships are there. And then on top of that, you just put this frosting of like, oh, and God is a part of that. Uh-huh. It just... I like frosting. And that's fine. <clears throat> that's fine. And I'm sure you get the corner piece that has extra frosting on it. I do. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, prayer was really challenging, though, when I started to... When my old concepts of an interventionist, 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 yeah, God kind of were challenged yeah. and replaced or disputed. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, I was with, well, what do I do with prayer? Huh? So, what did you? What did you do? Um, I think it it became more personal in a way. Can you, are you comfortable elaborating? What do you mean well, by more personal? You did you ask for things anymore? No. No, it was more of a, um, like a self-reflection, I think. Um, I don't know. This question I, I came up with um, last night, and I'm still pondering it. There was a 20th century mystic. Her name was Evelyn Underhill. Yes. And she says the mind cannot be left out of the act of prayer because it is the faculty that prepare, prepares the way for prayer. So what I'm, what her question was is how has your intellect helped or hindered your prayer life? Mm. So after all the books that you've read, Tony. Mm. <laughs> prayer, my intellect has actually 
it, it's a curse and a blessing at the same time, to be honest. That's, yeah. that's my mind. My mind, it, it's, it's a way of protecting myself, mm -hmm. uh, especially from my emotions. And my, if I can stay in my thoughts, I don't have to consider my emotions. Mm -hmm. And because of that, then when it comes to my experience of God, then that became the means by which my view of God changed. The more I learned, then the ideas that I've been taught, they just didn't fit anymore. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, the, like Nelson said in the sermon, the God of the gaps, the gaps begin to shrink. And as yeah. the gaps begin mm, to right. shrink, all of a sudden, <clears throat> I'm not, I wasn't sure where prayer came into play anymore. The thing that I found intriguing, about, though, is that there's actually atheists and agnostics mm -hmm. who pray. Oh. They're just not praying to a god. And what are they praying to or about? It's it's a actually a, an exercise mm -hmm. that they do of, of of awareness of themselves and mm -hmm. their experiences. So mm -hmm. it becomes, in some way, you could say it becomes very self-centered. And on the other side, you could argue though it's not because you actually are thinking about other people and your concerns mm -hmm. for other people. Right. And so for me, God is more of, of this mystery. So the role of prayer in my life mm -hmm. is also now a mystery. I just don't know, to be honest with you. Right. I don't know. And that's really challenging as a minister because as a minister, I'm supposed to know. <laughs> well, yeah, or have a little authority on it. For yeah. Sure. So if I go in and if I go make a hospital visit and I, I pray with people. Because it's not about what I think or my views. It's more important to me to what brings them comfort. What, and if, if prayer does that for them, then I'm more than willing to do that. Because mm -hmm. that, to me, is what ministering to people is about, is meeting them where they are in their spiritual experience, not imposing something upon them. So in a church worship service, yes. when we have corporate prayer, yes. how does that work? Like, how does that fit into all this? Because that's kind of impersonal. I mean, we're all corporately praying, but... Well, I think one of the things we do here at Beatitudes is we do different types of prayer. Because we mm -hmm. understand that those individuals who attend our church are from a wide spectrum, a wide variety right. of individuals. Right. So... I think it's important then that we tap into that. So if an individual is more traditional in the way they understand prayer, then sometimes we will use that form of a prayer. For those individuals who don't are non-theists, they don't see God involved in that way, then we use more of a medita meditative type of prayer. Mm -hmm. So we will use a variety. We don't lock into just one form of prayer because to be as the minister, I, I don't know which one is right. Right. I mean, I, I can't, if someone was to tell me that they prayed to God and God helped them find their keys, that tends to be the biggest one where we call on God. <laughs> <laughs> there's part Not of me, patience. there's part of me that goes like God goes, oh, here we go again. <laughs> Why can't they just find their keys on their own? Right. You know, um, but if that's their view of God, who am I to tell them they're wrong? Now, I personally may agree, but I'll keep that to myself. I, I mean, I may not agree, but I'll keep that to myself. Right, but you, you kind of box people or like, oh, so they, they must be a theist. So then you have to go and think of them in that realm. Oh, they're a non-theist. Like, I feel like we have to establish up front 
to have this conversation. I think the way you have that conversation is through listening. Mm. I mean, if you listen to people, they'll, they'll give you enough hints to how they see God and how they see human relationships. Oh. So it's really about just talking less and listening more <laughs> and letting people kind of reveal their hand. And mm-hmm. if they're uncomfortable with their experience of prayer, yeah. then explore that with them. And, and share with them that there's other options, other ways of thinking about it. Nice. And if they want to walk away from it, I'm not going to tell them no. Right. Just as I'm not going to tell them no if they want to stay with the traditional idea of prayer. I read something yesterday from Greta Vosper. Mm. Up in Canada, eh? Eh. Eh? <laughs> she said... You know, wait, wait, I have to tell you this real quick. Oh, what? We lived in Canada for two years. Oh, did you? Yeah, and I walk. I remember asking a friend one time, a Canadian. I said, uh, "Why do you guys walk around going a all the time?" <laughs> what they say? And he said, "Well, it's a lot better than you Americans." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, you walk around going huh, huh, huh." <laughs> really? A lot better going a. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, that's true. All right, okay. go back, Greta Vosper. Yeah, so Greta Vosper, she said that the challenge is when we have to lay down a false sense of rescue and take up responsibility Mm. for what we formerly put on God and live recognizing that there's no safety net. Mm. It is we who must be the safety net for each other. This is a new understanding of prayer. And now she states, we are called to be God in the world to one another. What do you think of that? Uh, The very end, it's like we have to be God to one another. It's like, "Mm." you know, why... uh, why Why add that on? I thought everything up to that point. Hmm. Yeah, you did. Well, maybe she's redefining what, what God, God is. is. Well, and that's a, that's, a, the, your, that's a very good point. But I think the problem is, for me, is I bring so much baggage with the word God because of the way I was raised. And mm. I, have to, I, I admit that. And I have a bias when it comes to how I look understand that word Mm -hmm. and I have to be be aware of that and be willing to set that aside at times Mm -hmm. as far as living life without a safety net and then we are that safety net for one another the problem is with that one to be honest with you Mm -hmm. is we are living in a world right now where a lot of people are lonely true very true Mm -hmm. Um, they're without family they're without friends Right. And so it's a fly solo and with no safety net. Yeah. Because you don't, you feel alone. Mm-hmm. That's where God can come in for a lot of people right. and give them a great deal of security. So I would be, I would not be one to take that away from people. On the other side, it does create a lot of difficulties. For example, I've heard of individuals who have prayed and something miraculous happens and they attribute it to God. Uh-huh. And then I've heard other people who pray that basically the same kind of prayer and nothing happens. Now what's their, what's their option? What do you do at that point? Why is it God answered for one person and not another? Right. And then right. are you going to blame God? Are you going to blame yourself? Um, and, and probably the easiest answer to that is what a lot of people say where they pull out that text, you know, God's ways are not our ways. It's not for us to understand. Mm-hmm. It's us to, just to have faith and trust. But when your little child is dying in the hospital and you're praying to God and the child next 
you know, in, in the next room is miraculously recovers and your child isn't recovering. That's hard. Uh, that's really hard. And so what do you do at that point with prayer? Right. And, and if you have, if you have any kind of biblical background, Jesus said, whenever you ask, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it'll be yours. Right. And so, so how do you, yeah. So who do you end up blaming? yourself right because you didn't have enough faith you didn't believe enough that's right you didn't trust enough yeah and then you come up with this guilt and you Mm -hmm. carry this this baggage and then who wants to pray because you're feeling guilty and it's like i'm not having enough prayer i remember one time this is so embarrassing to say um (laughs) i was i was going through i was still in a very fundamentalist part of my life and but I was having all these questions and doubts and yeah. frustrations about my ministry. And I was talking to this one person and he said, Tony, you need to pray more. <laughs> okay. That's the answer. You got to pray more. That'll give you your faith. That'll give you your strength and you'll see the, the power of God in your life. I was like, okay. That sounds trite, but okay. Well, but not for me at that point. It was like, well, this could be the answer. Okay. I have to have a deeper faith which means more communion with God. Oh. So, so what did you do? Well, he suggested that I pray for an hour. An hour. Yeah. 60? 60, 60 minutes. Minutes. Yep. Not 61? Nope. So not I, set, I set 60. an alarm for 60 minutes, a timer. Okay, great. And then what happened? I started praying. <laughs> On your knees? Yep. Wow. Yep. You got serious. I did. And I started praying, and I prayed for about... Uh, 45 minutes, and I looked down at my watch, and it was only 15. <laughs> and it's like, I got another 45 minutes to go. What, 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 what? But there was this sense of like, it's almost this monastical sense of, yes. of showing your, your fealty to your, your allegiance to God by, by having this prayer. And, the posture. Yeah. The, the frequency, the, all of it. Yeah, and so... It's rule bound. But I have to be honest with you. What? Psychologically, emotionally, it mm-hmm. made a difference for a while. Did it? Yeah. Huh. I think there is something about prayer, either the act itself, either with or without a, a belief in God even. Yeah. That does have a effect on us emotionally and psychologically. And I think that's why there are people that are atheists and agnostics and humanists that still see prayer is just in a different way. It's an awareness of something beyond oneself. There's the openness to the mysteries, and there's a, a sense of connecting with other people. Could it be a sense of a presence? You mean like underneath the Christmas tree? No, presence. <laughs> <laughs> No. Happy birthday to <laughs> no, you. No, stop. Like a presence, uh, uh, an, an entity, like a, a presence of God, a feeling of God. Because I have something interesting that Please. I read yesterday. Please. Person, Persinger, I believe his name is, he's a cognitive neuroscientist at Laurentian University in Ontario. Okay. Did you know him? You lived up there. A. Ah, okay. He has experimentally recreated experiences of a sensed presence by using electromagnetic fields, by stimulating one or other of the temporal lobes with artificial magnetic fields, a subject can be made to have either a fear-based 
or a bliss-based experience of a being that is close to them. So, researchers exploring the spiritual nature of his findings suggest that prayer, a process of separating thoughts from feelings, and so also the functioning of both sides of the brain, stimulates the brain in a similar way and makes it possible for individuals to create a sense of the presence that many would call God. And those who become highly practiced at the separation of brain function brought about through prayer might even have a constant sense of God's presence with them in their lives. Again, I, I think that's how you choose to use the word God. Mm -hmm. I mean, if well, let me ask you this in return, a sense of this idea of presence. Yeah. Um, do you and your, your partner share the same bed? Yes, we do. Okay. Why? Why, <laughs> why, why do you actually sleep together? I mean, literally sleep in the same bed. Yeah. Studies have shown that you, you actually sleep better if you have separate beds or even if you have separate rooms. Agreed. So why do you actually share sleeping in the same bed because we like the presence of the other person right. in and, the, the room and can you but we do have a king size bed i have to say now but so but when when that's further apart right but when that person isn't there <laughs> can you can you tell the difference do you sleep differently uh no yeah see for me i do i don't yeah i i think even though we are consciously not aware of this person next to us, I think there is something that maybe this guy's tapping on into it, is there is something mm -hmm. that affects us about this physical presence. So maybe there is a, an awareness, an emotional or psychological sense of connection that we get. And, and if people want to attribute that to God, then that's fine. That's, mm -hmm. I, it's, it's not my place to say one or the other, but I do think there is something there that is both in the secular and in the religious world yes. when it comes to meditation, prayer, mindfulness, and thing, those kind of spiritual exercises or just exercises. Yeah. Well, in particular... I've, uh, it was Psalm 139 that says there's nowhere you can go to escape the presence of God. Wow. So. It's like Big Brother. How does that, yeah, how does that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a it's little like, creepy. Well. Isn't it? I don't know. Well, yeah. Well, it depends on how you look at God. Well, there, yeah, exactly. And there are, there are places where I would prefer to be alone, even without God. I mean. Without God? Really? Uh, where would yeah. that be? I don't want to go okay. there. I, I, I mean, if that, you know, that text again can work in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be very comforting to people, but yeah. then it can also be very trying to people. This idea that there's this God who is loves you and comforts you can be very powerful. And on the other side, if there's this God who's watching you mm -hmm. and it's almost like Many people, I think, see God as almost a type of Santa Claus. You know, he's, oh. he's up in heaven making his list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. La, la, la. Yeah, and so if you want to <laughs> be, if you, want, if you don't want coal in your stocking, then you do the right things. <laughs> and in some ways, that, that is an idea that ties into God. And so if, 
again, I, I, that text can be used in two different ways. It can be very comforting to people, but it can mm-hmm. be very, very challenging. And how we view God and how we look at prayer is all wrapped up in that. I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of your monologue. You were asking if it, it's taught. Yes. So suppose we had a world where it was not taught. Well, then you would have the ancients. Okay, and what? You mean the ancients? They did not pray. Well, the, the, the idea of God became slowly evolved over time. It, mm-hmm. was, it was to explain the gaps, the things that we don't know. And then also God was tied into to very tangible things so that God could be seen in the rocks, God could be seen in the trees. And that was a way of linking God into these mysteries of nature. Okay. And so over time, that idea of God begins to develop. And then if you get the idea that, well, we haven't gotten rain in a while, we need rain, um, then we will beseech this deity, the rain God, whoever's responsible, that God who's responsible for rain to give it to us. And then you begin to come up with what we call offerings or sacrifices. Mm -hmm. This idea of this is how you make the gods happy. This is how you appease the gods. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, we still have these sacrifices in our own lives. Yeah. You know, there's things that we're willing to give up in order to earn God's favor. And therefore, God will answer our prayer more likely in those situations. True. Very true. So I, it, it, I can understand why a lot of books have been written about prayer. <laughs> can too. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, just even as a kid, you know, you're talking about learning prayer. Uh, I, 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 as a kid, I was taught the acronym JOY, your daughter's name. Yeah. Yeah. And what does it mean? Um, the order in which you're supposed to pray. Jesus first. Oh, okay, Jesus. Others. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then yourself. yourself. Okay. Do you still follow that? No. <laughs> I mean, Is it backwards? Y O J Yodge. Yodge. Yeah, because ultimately <laughs> I wanted to get to myself first. I mean, that's. I think we. It's just our effort to try to understand, and I think that's yeah. why, to me, it is. This is such an important subject in a very personal way. Yeah. And agreed. And where in our society do we have opportunities? to talk about this in a non-threatening environment where you can just be totally honest with mm-hmm. each other and just admit that you have questions or admit right. that you don't have any questions and be able to share your opinion, your view, and not feel this sense of judgment. Yeah. There's not very many places that let you do that, but I do know one. Yeah, me too. And I think it's right here. Right here. Yeah, here at Monodia. It's, it's an opportunity for individuals to think and mm-hmm. then get response in return as far as and create. That's what we're actually trying to do is create a sense of community. And right. that's so important to us. And safety. So, yeah. Well, our time is drawn to an end, Janelle. Wow, that and went it, fast. It did go fast. For such a big subject, right? Yeah. We will be back in two weeks. Uh, next week, however, will be a closer look. And we will be looking at the subject of religious rights and education. There's a lot going on in school boards right now. Mm-hmm. How does that affect Christianity? That's next week. Two weeks from now, we'll be back for another setting of Monodia. 
At this time, however, as we draw this part to a conclusion, for those of you who would like a form of a spiritual exercise, we have a meditation that we prepared for you. And we invite you to stay on, uh, either to listen to now, or if you're in your podcast, if you're listening to this as a podcast and you're in the, uh, driving right now, please don't stop driving. Um, it's not safe. But maybe at a later time, you can come back and listen to this meditation. Thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to being able to speak with you again in two weeks. Enjoy the rest of your day. And no matter what you're doing in life, Stay safe out there. Bye now. is simply become familiar with the breath as a way to become familiar with all of who you are at this moment in this day wherever you find yourself sitting or standing feel the weight of your body through your seat or your feet on the floor Straighten your upper body as if a balloon is pulling your head to the sky. Lower your shoulders. Soften your gaze and try to gently fixate on a point on the ground in front of you. Connect to the natural cycle of your breath, feeling the rise and fall of your belly Tune into your breath as if it's a wave of an ocean or the movement of a fan. Sensing each breath as a unique act or rotation. Feel the rise and fall of your belly. And when your mind wonders as it will, Return to the physical sensation of your breath. 